The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Josh Levine, and this is Slate's Sports Podcast Hang Up and Listen for the week of December 10th, 2018. On this week's show, we'll discuss Oklahoma's Heisman winning quarterback, Kyler Murray, and the choice he'll soon be making about whether to pursue a career in football, baseball, or both. We'll also be talking about Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, the Philadelphia 76ers, floor spacing, locker room toxicity, and how to build a winning team in the modern NBA. And finally, the NFL has put a call out for proposals on how to, quote, modernize punting. And I'm happy to report that we are here to help. Joining me in our Washington, D.C. studio is a man who's always helpful when the help that's being requested pertains to kicking a football. It's Stefan Fatsis, author of the books Word Freak and A Few Seconds of Panic. Hello, Stefan. Hey, Josh. And with us for the whole show today is Gene Demby of NPR's Code Switch blog and podcast, sometimes Pop Culture Happy Hour, Reply <laughs> All, other fine things you can read and listen to. Welcome, Gene. What's good? Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, before we get to the show proper, I want to give another um, advertisement, enticement for people to give us a call for our year-end call-in show. It's 77-HANG-UP-10, and you should call us on a high-quality phone line. Uh, I assume that all of our listeners, Stefan, are in possession of only the highest Mm -hmm. quality telephone equipment. Oh, they better be. I mean, it's kind of a requirement to (laughs) listen to the show, isn't it? If they want to talk to us. So um, conundrums are good. Um, Advice. Advice for children, for all mm-hmm. the kids out there. The love lorn. <laughs> Anything is, uh, is, uh, is viable. Um, the phone number is 77-HANG-UP-10. We want to hear from all of you guys. And the show is going to be, so we haven't decided if it's going to be the Christmas show or the New Year's show. But get your calls in in like the next week or so. Dear Josh, will be the new segment. For the, the advice show. for the love lorn. I like it. The sports love lorn. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's encourage... Encourage matters of the heart, sports or otherwise. Get those twin cest calls in. <laughs> On that note. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. On Saturday night in New York, Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray became the second straight Oklahoma quarterback after Baker Mayfield to win the Heisman, uh, beating out the season-long favorite Alabama's Tua Tagovailoa, as well as Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins. They invited him there. He got a free trip to New York, even though there wasn't really a a shot of him uh, winning the gold. Murray threw for more than 4,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, and his first season as a starter after transferring from Texas A&M. He also plays baseball, and Oklahoma's Heisman campaign for him was a redux of the old Bo Jackson Bono's Nike ad, Gene, that's like the most iconic yep. ad campaign mm-hmm. for um, sports fans of our, of our age. Of our age. Um, the shoulder pads holding the baseball bat mm-hmm. behind his neck. Um, with Oklahoma getting ready to play Alabama in the college football playoff, he's probably only going to have one more <laughs> game this season. We don't want to put a limit 
on this guy's ceiling, except to say that he's not going to beat Alabama. Um, <laughs> but he has to decide whether his football career is over or he's going to try to make it to the NFL or he's going to try to play both. Like in his interviews in the last couple weeks, he's been a little cagey. He said, maybe I'm, you know, I haven't decided yet. I need to talk to my family. His agent, Scott Boras, says, this decision has already been made and he is going to play baseball. I'm, it makes sense that Scott Boras would play that, would say that because he's, the baseball agent. Do you have the sense, Gene, from listening to Murray that this is actually still an open question or is the guy just going to play baseball? I mean, it seems like that is on the table in a real way. I mean, and the more you think about it, there are like a bunch of real benefits to, to, to I mean, Scott Boris will be pissed off, but like for him going to the NFL, right? Like uh, it seems like his... his uh, Con, Scott Boris will be pissed off. <laughs> um, that would be, which would probably not be a small thing. Uh, but like... Okay, so he's a small guy, right? He's 5'10", 190-ish or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, he wouldn't be the biggest NFL quarterback, right? No. But, you know, you have this recent history of successful, small, mobile quarterbacks. Russell Wilson, be- I mean, Russell Wilson's a little bit beefier than him. Um, Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield's not that big. Right. Um, like, his star potential in the NFL is probably higher. His career also could be much shorter in the NFL, too. Um I don't know. Like it seems like it seems like if you were, I don't know. It's like you'd have to understand like what's happening in his mind because he could be a long, have a long career in the majors and be basically anonymous, right? Um, yeah. Because you know, I mean, even if he was an all star in the majors, right? At this point, you could be basically anonymous. Absolutely. But right. he could be second, uh, a backup quarterback in the NFL and have some notoriety, stick around for a while. I mean, but if he, if they're, tr- but he could be a star in the NFL. And yeah. I don't think it's on the table for him. And- right. And I think that it's funny that when you think this conversation ends up being baseball now ends up being baseball safer. Don't get hit. Right. Save your brain. A little more chill. The, the, uh, you know, the perception is you don't have to work as hard. Guaranteed contracts. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed contracts. But all of that is conditioned on the fact that you've got to make the major leagues. And mm. that is not an easy thing. There is no minor league football to apprentice in and work your way up and get better to earn your spot. You go straight to the majors in football. Um, so it's not clear how. I mean, he's projected. I mean, he was drafted, what, ninth in in, in the, the baseball draft in the yeah. first round? And that's really, that's really good. That is a sign that this dude can ball and he has a chance to be a starting Outfielder, they're projecting him as a center fielder in the majors. He's super fast. He can hit, not for much power at this point, but that can change over the course of a guy's career. But he's still probably going to have to play three or four years in the minors. That is still three or four years of potential injury. And that is still three or four years where basically you are, what you are making is your bonus. And his bonus was not insubstantial. 4.6 million. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ninth slot in the major league draft is a, is a good chunk of money. So, I was watching an interview that Tim Tebow did with Murray, and this was actually, I think, before we settled on doing this as a topic. So I have only myself to blame for watching this video. And yet, the man who I have come to refer to as Edward R. Tebow asked (laughs) a very, I thought, profound – well, it wasn't that the question was profound, but I thought the answer was actually profound. Let's listen to this exchange between – Tebow and Kyler Murray. Me and you both love more than one sport. Yeah. Which one do you love more? Football, baseball. <laughs> Which one do you love more? <laughs> oh, if I had to say one night in one game, I would pick a football game. But see, the thing in baseball is you get 162 yeah. of them. Yeah, I know. I, a get, lot. I get more nights to go compete and, yeah. and love what I do. Yeah. 
So Tebow <laughs> now plays baseball, as I think most most people know. After plays, g- yes, books, yes, after um, his his brief and ignominious NFL career. But um, I thought that that breakdown was exactly right. It is I right. think um, playing f- football and and Stefan, you also I think hit on something with the with the safer thing. Like if if I were him, I would choose football even because even with the danger because and as they went on to talk about in this um, interview, baseball is a game of failure. Kyler Murray is is not actually that good at baseball yet, and it's going to take years mm-hmm. for him even to get to a ma- the major league level. He's mm-hmm. drafted high on potential. And just the idea of playing baseball for like years and years in the minors, maybe not ever getting that good at it. Like there's a reasonable chance he wouldn't ever become a major league quality player or a star player. Whereas in football, as a quarterback, the risk is a little bit is less He's an amazing electric talent in football. He plays with a kind of joy, and he brings joy to a huge amount of people who watch him play. Um, for me, that would be really, really hard to pass up. I mean, and he would probably start for a bad team. I mean, like if he if he was, I mean, they're, he's projected to be like a fringe first rounder, right, in the NFL draft. Well, and I think his stock has gone up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think he was sort of a second round lock, and now it's low first round. That's going to have a huge effect on the decision. Baseball America, um, Stephanie sent this around, did an analysis, and it said if he was like Lamar Jackson and drafted at the tail end of the first round, the guaranteed money he would get from a signing bonus would be bigger than the guaranteed $4.6 million he got from baseball. But he's a, as you said, Gene, he's a really small guy. Um, you know, Russell Wilson and Drew Brees and Baker Mayfield. I don't know if this is there's a legit difference, but they look bigger they do than look bigger. <laughs> than Kyler Murray. Like Kyler Murray looks really small, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be a barrier for him. Like he looks like Doug Flutie, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, and there's a big difference. Like if it only takes one team, maybe a team will take him in the first round. But what if he drops to the third? Or fourth round, like would that actually make the difference between whether it'd be a good decision or well, not? Well, it definitely makes a difference financially, and he's going to be hearing not only from Boris but from you know his family members. And the financial consideration in baseball is not insubstantial. I mean, yeah, four point six million is a lot, but it's four point six million because let's project that he has some some time before he is major league level say three years, that's reasonable. And let's say he is a successful major leaguer. Unless he is an off-the-charts rookie second-year player, he's not going to sniff the big money until he hits free agency or, you know, or arbitration level. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's looking at you know, four to nine years before he gets paid the way he would get paid under a rookie deal in the NFL, forgetting what his second contract in the NFL might look like in 2024 or 2025. And even though he's a small guy, it's like, it's not really 2024. And that's way too long, right? 2019. How long is the the rookie deal in the NFL for three years? Three, right? Yeah. Three or four. I think depending on where you're drafted. Right. I mean, and he's a small guy, but it's not like they're drafting him to be, you know, <laughs> Ryan Mallet. Like, he's not going to be this, like, the pocket pass, like, sitting back there, like, who's not mobile. Like, he'll, um, I think because there's so many college-style offenses in the league now, in the NFL, um, there will be a lot of teams that will find him really intriguing, I think. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like he'll probably start a handful of NFL games in the next 
two years if he goes to the if he goes to the NFL. Right, and, and Boris is going to try to obfuscate this too. He already has financially. I mean, he was quoted as saying, "How many quarterbacks in the NFL make a hundred million dollars? If a center fielder can steal sixty bases and hit twenty home runs consistently, his earning potential will exceed what most quarterbacks make." Well, yeah, but you got to steal 60 bases and hit 20 home runs. And how many guys do that? Well, as you were getting to the baseball, the economic system and baseball pushes guys to free agency when they're like 29 or 30 Mm. years old and speed doesn't play as well when you're that age. And if his game is entirely predicated on that or largely predicated on that, then that's an even bigger risk. That he's taking. I think we can overstate um, the importance of coaches in all sports, but Lincoln Riley, the Oklahoma coach, has now um, had two consecutive quarterbacks win the Heisman. Baker Mayfield was a walk-on at the start of his career. He obviously has a lot of talent, but he's not a guy who was pegged as a Heisman winner out of high school, certainly. Kyler Murray, as we've said, is not a traditional um, mold of a quarterback. Um, and and it's worth saying that Riley has been talked about as a guy who the NFL would be interested in now. And Gene, you mentioned like more college style offenses, a broader acceptance in the NFL of um, whether it's, you know, guys like Lamar Jackson getting the chance to start or even some, you know, what the Eagles have done with, mm-hmm. uh, with, mm-hmm. with their offense. Um, it, it's not like out of the question that in a couple of years, Riley could be in the league, um, and that that wouldn't that that the kind of offense that he runs at Oklahoma wouldn't be abnormal in the NFL. And also with like the rules around protecting quarterbacks, I mean, it just it feels to me like every it's hard it's it's even hard to to conjure a reasonable argument for him to play baseball. And that's like been and that's been like the the obvious. The conversation has been like, obviously, he has to play And baseball. I know I just pissed on the idea that, you know, he's going to he could make big money quick in baseball. On the other hand, people and he's you know, he's listening. He's hearing what people are saying about him, too. I mean, I found in like five minutes of Googling baseball people comparing him to Ricky Henderson and Mike Trout. OK, let's come um, <laughs> I know Keith Law, who's a reasonable guy and very smart and worked in a front office, works for ESPN now. Um, you know, he described him as a plus runner who really a plus plus runner who, who really really took the center field after playing shortstop in high school, has a good simple swing, hard contact, doesn't have much power now, um, stru- struck out a lot, but he is projecting him as sort of a, might end up a major league all-star center fielder. But wait, I think we need to back up for a second and just explain to people how like raw he is as a, as a baseball player. Like in 2017 with Oklahoma in college, with the aluminum bats, and like batting averages in base and college baseball are like very high. Yes, mm. he had 122. Oof. Um, last oh. year he hit 276, which is a huge improvement. But this guy is like needs a lot of reps. Right, and, and let's and we also haven't touched on he the could fact be that Mike he Trout did. or he could be you know bad. Right. <laughs> um, he did both at Oklahoma, which is impressive. I mean, he played in on one day he played in Oklahoma spring game and then drove to the baseball field and started in center field for a Sooners game against Texas. That is amazing. So, he you know, we're not we haven't even addressed the fact like could this guy do both or could he try one and do the other? And that is more likely. I think the pattern that we tend to see with athletes like him is that I right, let me do baseball. I got a spot. I can play. See how good I can get. And then if I suck, I'm Chad Hutchinson, and I decide 
you know, Scott Boris, hey, negotiate me an NFL contract, which is exactly what happened with Chad Hutchinson. But wait, it's it's way more boring to talk about him doing one and then trying the other. Let's talk about the potential logistics of doing both. Like you're iconic if you can do both, like mm-hmm. Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders. And those guys were also like freak athletes. Right. Like Bo Jackson is like a Paul Bunyan figure, right? I mean, he's not that, right? Kyler is not that? Kyler's not that. Well, with Dion, you also had the legendary um, – day where he took the helicopter between them. Yes, that's right. Like I those, want to see more of that. And and yeah. we we already mentioned the like the poster playing baseball and football together. If this guy wants to maximize his fame and potential as an endorser and just become this figure that we'd be talking about decades later, like that's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like the forces of pro sports are like conspiring against this more than they were in in the 80s i don't know is that because like there's just more teams expect to have more control over guys now and it's just the demands are higher you would think you think it would be easy i mean like you said it's every the the infrastructure is there now i mean it would be easier to get back and forth right i mean what dion was playing for who was he playing for when he when he made that it was yankees and the falcons was it was it the he was playing for the falcons and the Braves simultaneously simultaneously. and when he I believe the helicopter episode was when the Braves were in the playoffs and the Falcons had a a game um, that day. And so there was only, I think, a brief period when he was actively doing Mm -hmm. both rather than like going, you know, finishing out the the season and then and then moving over to another right. one. It's weird. I mean, like I'm thinking about this now. Like Deion should have just set out the Falcons game. I mean, it's like early <laughs> in the season, right? If it's the baseball playoffs, it's early in the NFL season. Just like come in week four or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, shoulda. He wanted the the you know that's, he wanted to be a legend. Um, <laughs> that's bananas. Yeah. But sorry. what I was hearing in Kyler Murray's sort of waffling last week was that he's you know he wants to do both or he's just a 22 year old who can't decide like or when he, he made this decision he hadn't won the Heisman yeah, trophy right, the yeah. Heisman trophy so he's got Boris leaning on him uh Murray's also got his family background to contend with here his uncle Calvin was a baseball player who played in the majors had a long career i think um and was hired by Scott Boris works for Scott Boris now surprise surprise his father Kevin was drafted in 1982 in the 11th round by the Milwaukee Brewers struggled in rookie ball and decided he'd want to go back to college, went to Texas A&M to play quarterback. Um, The Brewers and Kevin Murray ended up in court over his $35,000 signing bonus. (laughs) Wow. And so it sounds like Murray went back to Texas A&M, had an ankle injury, damaged his his NFL chances. Um, So football's injury, you know, bugaboo. Yeah, that makes things a little bit more complicated considering the – Family history, the family lineage. The NFL, the NFL is so much baseball. safer now. Football, <laughs> nobody gets injured playing football anymore. Come on, Kyler, play football. So, I mean, this is a kid that's hearing an awful lot of great things about him, rightly yes. and spectacularly, and that's awesome for him. That's a hard thing. I mean, like to be blessed with that kind of that, that, that gift to be able to do both of these things, and then having important people tell you you have to pick one or the other. Bo Jackson said he should pick one. Oh, really? Hmm. I wonder if both feels that way because he famously got injured. Like, I mean, he had this, like, career-ending hip injury. It a, sounded like what Bo was saying was that because everyone is better at sports now than 25 years ago, mm-hmm. that 
I think the implication is, look, look, the likelihood of being as good as I was at both of these is lower. Bo just wants that for himself. <laughs> He's just jealous. <laughs> he wants to be the last Bo, yeah. Can I, just bef- before we move on, just in a completely unrelated Kyler Murray, unrelated Kyler Murray related subject. I just wanted to talk about his tweets for a second. So when he was 14 and 15, he tweeted um, at his friends using the word queers as an insult, Mm -hmm. like anti-gay insult. Um, And this is a thing that happens perpetually when someone's in the news, someone looks at the old tweets and, and finds them. This seems like obviously using an anti-gay insult to calling people queers is like a very bad thing to do and people shouldn't do it. Um, but to do it at like 14 or 15, just the idea that 14-year-olds are on Twitter is like profoundly sad to me. Mm. But um, it's like not the, the the worst thing that people have found in these like Twitter um, dredgings that happen. And the thing that frust- frustrates me as a media consumer is that like when ESPN does a story about this, they never actually quote the tweets just because there's this, um, I think, whether it's ESPN or New York Times or Washington Post, the more like mainstream outlets, they don't want to include slurs, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe there's an argument for that. But I feel like it obfuscates. And in a story like this, you actually like need to know what the person said. What they said. Mm -hmm. In order to like evaluate how should how should I feel about this? And I just this is just the thing that like recurs every time I'm frustrated, whether it's like Josh Hader or anyone else. You like have to like go to not necessarily like the scammier parts of the internet, but like there's like no um th- there's n- no mainstream outlet will like tell you actually what the story is about. Has Murray addressed these at all? He did. He apologized. He did he said I apologize for the tweets that have come to light tonight. From when I was 14 and 15, I used a poor choice of words that doesn't reflect who I am or what I believe. So the boilerplate. uh, The boilerplate. Yeah, there should be a paragraph in all those stories explaining how the adolescent brain is structured. (laughs) And just say what what the guy said. Mm -hmm. We can can deal with it, I feel like, as uh, as a society. That's just – that's all. One day I want somebody to have like a more forceful, more forceful uh, like renunciation of the stuff they said when they were 15. You know what I mean? Like instead of just being like, oh, that's not the way I feel. Like, like, yo, these were stupid things to say. Like, you know, like this, like. Well, like, right. Like, it's like, yo, 15 year olds. Absolutely. Don't do this. Don't do this. Right. Like, and and an idiot to actually like say what is wrong with what he said. Like, these are not just a portrait of words. Like, yo, like, you know, this is like, I, these, like, there's to actually sort of indict or to like, you know make a criticism of homophobia would be like much more right. useful than just being like, eh, I was, I was stupid. And it's like, this is a very wishy-washy sort of like wave away. But it, it would be, it would be nice that instead of one of these sort of like, like, you know, uh, perfunctory uh, apologies or whatever, that, that someone actually just grapple with the thing they said in a public way. It, it wouldn't hurt them at all, but also like it would just be very useful to like underline that why these things are bad. Apple card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
Before we get to Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, and the Philadelphia 76ers, I wanted to let you know that in our bonus segment for Slate Plus members, we are going to talk about the Washington football team and its quarterback travails. Mark Sanchez knew the system, maybe a bad system, maybe a bad quarterback. They did not sign Colin Kaepernick, one of uh, several, if not all, NFL teams to have made that decision. To hear that conversation, join Slate Plus for just $35 for the first year. You can sign up at slate.com slash hangup plus. The Philadelphia 76ers are eight. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's fine. It's fine. Just keep the keep the wooing coming. They're 18 and nine. They're just two and a half games behind the Toronto Raptors for first place in the NBA's Eastern Conference after trading for Jimmy Butler. Their core for of Butler, J.J. Redick, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid is probably second best behind the Warriors in the whole NBA. And yet, there may be trouble in process dice. Um, <laughs> on Friday, the Philadelphia Inquirer's Keith Pompey reported, um, and other people got these quotes too, but I found them in the Inquirer, um, that Joel Embiid said he hasn't been himself lately. I think it's mainly because of the way I've been used, which is I'm being used as a spacer. I guess a stretch five, which I'm only shooting 29% from three-point range. It seems like the past couple games, with the way I play, our setup always has me starting on the perimeter, and it just really frustrates me. My body feels great. It's just I haven't been playing well. The thing that I think didn't get enough coverage is, according to this Inquirer story, and I quote, it didn't help Embiid's mood on Friday that his father, Thomas, is visiting America and was at the arena for the game. So maybe his dad was like, man, son. You got to play better than that. <laughs> Maybe he was getting some some grief from his dad. So the the I question mean, here is there there are two questions. Number one is the fact that Jimmy Butler is on the team now and plays a game where he likes to drive to the basket. He wants like a clear lane. Is that going to cause problems for the Sixers, who are one of the few teams in the league now that has a true center who can dominate on the block? Is that going to cause long term problems for this team that is like a legitimate? Um, Eastern Conference uh, contender. Number two is the problem that Jimmy Butler is an asshole and that maybe they're both problems and that with Chicago and with Minnesota and maybe we're getting a tiny inkling of it in Philly that like when Jimmy Butler goes someplace that people just start getting unhappy. It's a little column A and a little column B or a lot of column A and a lot of column B. One is funny that Joel uh, is complaining about being a spacer because the criticism has always been like, yo, man, stop shooting all these damn threes. Like, he's always hanging out on the perimeter. Um, but, no, I mean, he is g- going after Jimmy Butler was like, you know, their big, bold move. Yeah. Um, but, like like you said, like, he has, even even before the Chicago thing imploded, like, the thing there was going to be, like, how do you space a team? That team is built around Rondo, Wade, and Butler, like guys who can't, who aren't like knockdown shooters. Um, that that's was a problem. Pretty, that's being very polite. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the problem in uh, in uh, Minnesota too, where there isn't a ton of shooting on that team. And Wiggins needs the ball. I don't know if he needs the ball. I mean, but <laughs> <laughs> he wants less, the ball. <laughs> he wants the ball. I don't know if you should give it to him. Uh, but um, and, and that team too had a, a center who was like a really talented multi-dimensional center in Carl Anthony Towns who um, needs space to operate. Right. Um, the the thing that going after Butler 
I mean, there's a bunch of gambles, right? Like, one, he's a couple of years. He's older than them. I think he turns 30 this year. So he's like, he changes the sort of uh, window for the Sixers in a lot of ways. And he's played a huge number of minutes. Absolutely. It's the Thibodeau thing. Right? He's like, yeah. I mean, now they're just like, well, go and play 40 minutes. But um, that was always going to be an awkward fit. Like, he, I mean, he immediately endeared himself to the Sixers fans because, like, within, like, the first 10 days, he had, like, two ridiculous game-winning shots, yep. right? And so he's like, oh, Jimmy is great. Um, but Jimmy Butler's always, one, been, like, a very productive player and always, like, sort of ruin the games of the players around him. Um, and that is, uh, I mean, they have to, He's his contract's up this year. Like, they're going to have to decide in the offseason. And they, it seems like they're going to throw out a ton of money at Jimmy Butler. Yeah, um, you don't make that trade if you're not going to throw money at him just because of what they gave up to get him. Absolutely. But he's going to be 30. Uh, and he Jimmy Butler is a very good player. Joel Embiid is a generational talent. Like, he, if Joel Embiid is not happy, like if they're bristling, then like Joel Embiid has to win that argument. Like the Sixers have to side with Joel Embiid. Like that, like I don't know how you navigate that. I mean, be, because Jimmy Butler is a kind of player that's hard to replace. But Joel Embiid is like, I mean, there's he's playing at an MVP level. Like he had a blast. His last two weeks have been sort of like meh, but I mean, his numbers are ridiculous. Um, and he is the reason the Sixers are as good as they are. And I, I just, I, I. I think that Butler is – I think it, it is hard to replace a Butler, but it is it's hard to replace a guy like Butler, but it's easier to replace a guy like Butler than it is to find someone like Embiid. Isn't the issue here that Jimmy Butler played on two non-contending teams right. where even with young talent around him that needed some sort of hand-holding, hand coddling, nurturing, developing, mm-hmm. he was the focus. Mm-hmm. He ain't the focus on this That's team. Right. And – Shouldn't it be incumbent on Jimmy Butler, who seems like a smart guy and a good human being, like visits kids in the hospital, spends a day with a cancer patient. He seems like a Has an unbelievable life story. Has an unbelievable life story, yes. Um, It seems like Jimmy Butler is smart enough to recognize that I'm in a situation where we could do some damage in the NBA this year. We have a chance to get to the NBA finals. How do you navigate that as a coach, as a front office, as these two guys who are both – really big talents. Well, and and before we get to that, let's just back up and explain what happened with Minnesota. And he went on strike, essentially, and forced a trade, which is certainly not unprecedented. But the way that he went about it was rather comical. So he was gone for a while. Then he came back at a practice that became instantly legendary, where he took a team of backups and went against Towns and Wiggins and and beat them repeatedly mm-hmm. and was insulting them, um, talking about how they're trash. Just um, you can't and, win without me. And then he immediately went. To, I don't know Nichols. if like Rachel Nichols was like sitting in the stands or like <laughs> they had a little green room set up. But he immediately went and sweat dripping. <laughs> but got the, a the in funny his thing about it was like the, the the news about the practice came out and then. The, the interview, it was kind of treated like it was spontaneous, but just the way it was all set up, the whole thing just kind of stunk and was very was very bizarre. And then he explained the whole thing by just saying, it's because I am competitive. And a lot of athletes say this, that mm-hmm. you can excuse any kind of behavior, whether it's off the court or on the court, because I'm just a competitor and I'm competing and I want to compete. And I'm, I'm sure it's true that um, Jimmy Butler is more competitive than the guys that he was playing with in Chicago and Minnesota. But, but now, we're cir- now we're circling back. Like, how do you deal with 
a guy who has behaved like a dick and and these different markets and and says that it's because he's a competitor clearly one of the top 20 players in the NBA so, but not LeBron and right. not Steph and mm-hmm. not KD mm-hmm. but whose competitiveness i think is probably inextricable from his the why he's good like um so so how do you reconcile this as um the Sixers i mean it's weird right cuz like the competitive thing is like it's part of his, that's like this point is like it's part of his image like jimmy butler just he's a gamer he plays really hard and but his self mythology absolutely it's like the thing he uh-huh. says about himself it's almost like the kobe thing where kobe just says like oh you know like almost like this like uh, monomaniacal desire to win the thing is like, jimmy butler hasn't won anything right like like to justify the level of like uh just like animus that he seems to endear with his teammates like if kobe was like famously i hate kobe bryant sorry <laughs> kobe was famously you're in a safe space for kobe <laughs> oh thank you thank you thank you uh kobe was famously a bad teammate right um and it was always excused by, by the fact that he like had these championship rings that he won an mvp yada 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 but like jimmy butler hasn't done i mean he's he's an all-star level player like you said he's a, one of the 20 best players in the league but it is a lot to like i mean it is a lot to countenance like mm-hmm. considering the returns, like the Sixers, he makes them um, legitimately a contender, but he's not the best player on the team. Um, and I don't know that, I don't know, like the Sixers have, like part of being the coach of the Sixers for the next five, six years is going to be about managing personnel. So even even if they hadn't traded for Jimmy Butler, like there's, you know, there's sort of rumblings that Ben Simmons and Embiid sort of are like very different personalities and and they're not the, like the closest teammates. Um and those guys have to get paid. And, I mean, like, um, adding him into this mix was just like this. I mean, it's a huge gamble. Um, I don't know. Like, I, it, it is a big part of Jimmy Butler's, like, like his thing. Like, I mean, and, and it's, like, one of the reasons he, be, he went from, like, a fringe player. Like, at Marquette, he was a power forward or something like that. And now he's, you know, one of the best wings in the NBA, like, with a completely different skill set. He, like, remade his game. Like, that same... Um, uh, motivation uh, and like determination is this thing that cannibalizes like both his ability to be a good teammate. I don't know if you could have Jimmy Butler as like your number two option on a championship level team. Well, I wonder. You know, you mentioned earlier, Josh, about how we tend to overvalue coaching or overcredit coaching um, in sports, and this seems to me to be a situation where you'll really find out if mm-hmm. Brown is a good coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Yep. Because there That's is, a good point. you know, I think Steve Kerr has demonstrated that, you know, not without speed bumps either, sure, absolutely. right? Mm-hmm. He has demonstrated, and Popovich has done this too, demonstrated an ability to take diverse personalities who have high, high, high skill levels mm-hmm. and somehow come out on the other side with a lot of wins and championships. Um, I don't know that the Sixers are equipped to do that, but we're going to find out how important coaching is here. Well, well, this is the modern NBA, right? It's that in order to contend for a title, you need to bring in a certain number of guys, maybe four, who all probably believe that they're the best player on the team mm-hmm. or that they should be the best player on the team and then managing those personalities. And then the other aspect here is that because the Warriors are so good – if you legitimately want to compete with them, then you need to take on enormous risk. Mm-hmm. Like that's what the Rockets, the Rockets definitely did, did sure. with bringing in Carmelo, which seems like <laughs> was it doesn't seem like was bad. It was mm-hmm. a it was a, probably a bad idea. But that and was it, the move when I mean, they went for Paul last year. That was yeah. the same thinking, right? Like we need sure. another 
like superstar. So in order for the Sixers to win a title, unless the Warriors break up, but in order for them to win a title, they probably had to get, they both had to get Jimmy Butler and that had to work out at like the 99th percentile Mm -hmm. chance of like, like the best possible scenario had to come through. So you certainly can't blame them for it. No. And I also don't think that, you know, you can't, Jimmy Butler's going to be Jimmy Butler. Mm -hmm. So Brett Brown is the one I think that is that needs to be watched for how he manages this. Not just the personalities, because you said the personalities, Josh, but also how they play. Absolutely. I mean, if if Markel Fultz had worked out, this is a different conversation. Like maybe they don't go after Jimmy Butler. Like maybe if they see him as like if they saw. I mean, if he had if he was showing signs of becoming. Where are you on Markel Fultz trutherism? Oh, man. I feel so – like, are, are we at the place where we're, do we believe the, the motorcycle accident? Like, is that where we're at? I, mean, well, I hadn't even heard about a motorcycle accident. There's is this that rumor that rumor? he has some kind of motorcycle accident, and that's what messed up his shoulder. Of course, like, uh, I mean, it's just at this point, everyone is just like, you know – We'll find out in, like, 20 years. Absolutely. Like, some, after – for 30. He's either, like, just completely erased from the basketball existence, or he's, like, a Hall of Famer. Like, one of those – those are the two things that are in play. <laughs> well, he's been diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome, and from what I've read on the internet, it's, like, seems real. The mm-hmm. real and not uncommon, mostly with baseball players. Yeah, I. I mean, that's such a way. You either we either feel really bad for the guy because he's had this real injury and people have treated him mm-hmm. like he's faking it, or that there's just something truly bizarre going on that we won't find out in twenty years. Even if he, if it, if the injury is real, like the way his team has handled it and the way the Sixers have handled it have been, has been so bizarre right I mean it's been yeah. like it's been like all this opacity on both sides like wh- who the Sixers said he was clear to play and then he said he wasn't okay to play I mean they, they kept flipping like it's just uh, but like again you're right because of like the Warriors you have to you just have to take the, like these swings and miss. I mean like the Raptors did that with, with Kawhi like you know yeah. they, they said like we can't DeMar DeRozan is again like a top 25 dude in the league and he also like the, diff- the, the distance between Kawhi Leonard and DeMar DeRozan was enough that we have to like blow up our most popular player ever, not Vince Carter notwithstanding, yeah. we have to like trade him away t- to make this move. And you know, um, uh, Kawhi might not resign, but like that was the kind, that's the kind of move that the like the, the the Warriors make. That's the kind of position that the Warriors put everyone in. Um, but like just from a basketball standpoint, like Joel Embiid is. There was this really great piece in the Ringer the other day about his numbers on the block, like just how good they are. They, they called him like. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal with a Lajuan feet, basically, right? Like, I mean, he just like is this this humongous, like, strong man who is also really, really agile. A lot of moves uh, in the paint, um, and uh, his numbers are insane. Like on post ups, I mean, and, and because he's such a good free throw shooter, like you want to give him as many touches right. on the post as in the post as possible. Um, Jimmy Butler is the kind of player who. I think we actually are seeing less of. Like, I mean, you think of like really good wings in the NBA now, your Kawhis, um, or even like what Wiggins was projected to be. Those guys can need to be able to shoot, right? I mean, they, they need to be able to shoot a lot. I mean, it's one of the things that is like held like Demar Derozan. Is, like one of the reasons he's not a top twenty guy. Yeah, is that he um, is a, a mid range guy who's a mid range guy and a slasher. Like that, it just gums up the spacing that you need. And and the Sixers have like spacing has always been a premium of the Sixers because. Ben Simmons never shoots. I mean, he's like a gigantic Ray John Rondo in a lot of ways, right? Um, like, like if you have to, it makes you wonder. Like, if they kept a guy like Covington who can't put the ball on the floor but can shoot and play D, he's like a, a elite defender and a and a good shooter. Is that 
better than a guy like Jimmy Butler, who is in a vacuum a far superior talent um, to Robert Covington? Um, like, uh, is that better for the Sixers for over the long haul? We're going to find out in the Eastern Conference. It's like really interesting how so much of the conversation, and rightfully so, has been about how um, not even top-heavy, just like horrible mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from top to bottom. It's been for almost a generation. And now with Giannis, Giannis. Um, and the Bucks, and with Kawhi on the Raptors and, and with the, the Celtics figures it out, yeah. and the Sixers, it's way, way more interesting than it's been in a very long time. And I think you know, this is very early days, and Butler is a guy that you definitely want on your team in the playoffs. Absolutely. And it's going to be a really, really fascinating Eastern Conference, uh, you know, playoff season this year. Just to jump on that real quick. I mean, like, last year in the playoffs, you could like you could see watching them in the playoffs, like, they need a Jimmy Butler type of guy who just, like, go get his own basket buckets, who can, like, make plays. I mean, the two game winners he hit so far for the Sixers have been, like, just the most the highest degree of difficulty, right? Like, that weird step back... 24 footer um, that he hit uh, over the uh, the Nets was like okay that is why you brought him here um, and that's the kind of shooter that's the kind of like score you need in the playoffs and the Sixers do not have that right but I don't know if you know getting to the Eastern Conference Finals with Jimmy Butler adding him and being able to like and having your like your floor probably being the Eastern Conference Finals is worth like potentially like alienating Joel Embiid for you know who would should be the cornerstone of the franchise for the next 15 years when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply the National Football League would like you guys to know that it is so fan-friendly that it wants you, the fan, to help design the next generation of rules, but not silly rules like how and when it's okay to use a hard plastic object strapped to your head to hit another person with a hard plastic object strapped to his head. No, it wants you to help modernize the part of the game that has been revolutionized by Australians punting. Josh, the league says the big problem with punts is not that punters are awesome, which they are, or even <laughs> that it seems too many players get injured on punts, which I don't really think that they do. Um, it's that there are too many penalties, which is a good reason. It's a totally fine reason to change Ugh, a there's part nothing of more, a sport. There's nothing more frustrating than a penalty on a punt return. I, yeah, we all agree on that. Block in the back. Fans totally agree. I mean, watching that yellow flag play on a punt. Oh, terrible. So let's start with, should we start with the ideas about how we can reform punting or whether punting should be reformed? Or should we start with uh, why the NFL is asking fans to help adjudicate its own problems and solve uh, solve its rules issues? Well, the first thing I'll say is that this is conflating two completely different issues, the safety issue and the lack of excitement issue. And it's not it's conflating two different issues. It's issues that are in direct opposition with each other. <laughs> so you could reform the punt by, like they did on the kickoffs, like banning wedge, you know, wedge busting and all that stuff. Or you could reform it by, um, you know, doing some various things to, to make it more exciting. And, you know, there have been like five 
punt returns for touchdowns this year, like trying to institute rules that would make it harder to to cover kicks and would uh, allow for for bigger returns. It's just, just like I don't understand what the, the league is trying is, to do. I don't do. know what the problem is, really. Like yeah, which, more which, are, which problem are they trying to solve here? I think they're mostly picking something that's really low-hanging fruit that they can have a sort of a public relations campaign that includes mm-hmm. the idea of safety in air quotes. We are trying to make football safer. Look, we're reforming punting. We reformed the kickoff. But there really isn't a whole lot, I think, to reform here. How do punters feel about this? Well, I just asked Chris Cluey, actually, and he responded via email like five minutes ago. <laughs> um, Cluey said, I honestly don't think punting needs to be changed. The danger of kickoffs – is that you have guys starting at opposite ends of the field and running at each other, whereas punts start with guys lined up at the line of scrimmage and then running with each other. So the danger of those massive collisions is very unlikely, except for the returner, and that happens super rarely. Just about the only thing I can think of to make it safer, we're moving into Chris Cluey territory here, uh, than a normal football play would be to have the players wear those inflatable sumo suits. That would be entertaining. The punter, however, would be at a great disadvantage if he had to wear the inflatable sumo. And the, suit. And the returner, right? I mean, the returner would be, would be like, the way. fun to watch him. Note to listeners: Gene was kind of wobbling, <laughs> wobbling around in his seat like an inflatable sumo guy. But the reforms that have come into place for kickoffs have been to make them more punt-like mm-hmm. and not allowing players to run up. You have to just stand on the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. before the kick, um, moving the. Try to slow it down a little, yeah, and and, and, and minimize the number of returns, which is much harder to do um, with the punt. Sure. So the MMQB had a bunch of their writers come up with suggestions for how to reform the punt. Um, the ones that I liked were uh, banning punts entirely. That's that's worth it's worth us discussing at yep. some point. Cluey would not like that one. Mm-hmm. Number two. Um, this was from Connor Orr. This is actually genius. Make it so a team cannot have the same person punt more than once a game. Oh, wow. Also would not be good for the Chris Cluys of the world, but would be very well, no, entertaining. It actually could be very good because you, then you like have six punters on your roster. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure that's how it would shake yeah, out. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> um, the other The other rule that I think would be very interesting would be that you are not allowed to punt from the opponent's side of the field. I thought that was really, really interesting, really intriguing. So the obvious like negative on that was that th- it would create a perverse incentive where when you're holding onto a lead late in a game, you would get teams running backwards mm-hmm. to go from the opponents like 45 to their own. I mean, if, if you love delay of game penalties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or get- you, you could, well, you could, you could, you could waive the rule in the last two minutes. Right. Maybe, yeah, maybe you were something like that. The solution yeah. to changing the rules is to uh, make the rule even more complicated. I like it. I like I like where your head's at. But then there. maybe like then maybe you then there's a premium on big leg kickers, right? So like if you're at the 45, right? That's like too short a field to punt. Mm-hmm. But maybe if you have a big leg kicker, you could just take a swing at a field goal. You know, like if you're in the if you're in the opponent's half of the field. Long, more long field goals. Stefan is going to sign on to that. I would do everything to incentivize more long field goals. Yeah. I mean, and one the way to incentivize more long field goal is to, again, waive another rule where the ball has to be at the line of scrimmage. Um, f- if you miss the field goal, you could, again, push it back to the 30, you know, make it standard. Right, right. That's right. That's right. That's um, right. So, I mean, there are ways to deal with that, too. 
I, I thought that Andy Benoit's suggestion that making the punt dead at the point where the ball touches the ground um, is interesting. I mean, it would reduce the number of returns potentially, um, but it would encourage punters to just go for it, to really swing for it and, and, and not be quite as strategic. That is uh, what the NFL is looking for, just ways to make punters look more cool. Is that, yeah, that's that's totally. your supposition here? Yeah. So the one thing I don't want to get rid of is one of my favorite plays in football, which is when uh, the punt is rolling and then it like stops at the one. Mm -hmm. My favorite part of that is like the guys who are just standing around the ball, wait for it to stop rolling, then touch it and then start celebrating as if they did something. (laughs) I also like it when the guys try to avoid going into the end zone. That is a cool, that is legitimately a cool play. legit cool to avoid the touchback on a punt. Yeah. I mean, so if if you're, if you're punting on the 45, on the opponent's 45, right? Yeah. Um, you have this tiny, tiny field. You're trying to, what, like, I mean, I guess this is more your world than any of ours, but, like, you're trying to, like, nail it in the corner, like, at the one or the two, right? I mean, sure. that's really hard, right? And then Well, it, it is really hard, but the introduction of these Australian kickers yeah, like and one their in, technique. Like, one in every five Australian can do that with, with great proficiency. <laughs> well, I think the Australians are actually, aren't they, raised from a very young age? <laughs> yeah, and they can, like, put, a, the put the reverse spin on the ball, and yeah. they, can, they can do weird... Uh, trickery. I mean, the weird thing is that punting actually has been legit revolutionized in the last five years. It is one aspect of professional football that has really changed because of the introduction of new techniques and new athletes. Um, so I really think that, look, this is the NFL trying to gin up some 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 publicity on but a very safe way. If they wanted to gin up publicity, wouldn't they do it with something other than punting? I don't know. It's probably, you know, look, th- this is... Uh, Ooh, I'm, punting. I'm looking at their They want ideas for punting. I'm, I'm so excited at, about giving ideas their, for punting. Their announcement, this is part of their data analytics competition in its first and future, first and future. program. Oh, my God. Designed to spur innovation in athlete safety and performance. Yeah, I guess punting is like, you know, the NFL is trying to like, you know, tinker at the margins a little bit, right? So like... Not that, no offense to the punters, so I just call it no, marginal. No, no, no. Um, punters but, are marginal. <laughs> they understand that. That's part of their job. So, okay, so let's go back to this. Uh, a, only a diff- One person can only punt once a game. Uh, if you had a terrible offense, like if you knew that you did not have like skill position players, like it was going to be a bunch of three and outs all season, <laughs> what, what percentage of your personnel is punters? Or, or, can, can, and, or can like sub in as a punter? Like do you have receivers who can like – Reasonably kick. In, in my experience, yeah, most quarterbacks, a lot of quarterbacks punted in high school. Mm-hmm. Just sort of best athlete on best the team, sort of the deal. team coordinated. You need like a Randall Cunningham a type who was like a yeah, like yeah. all American as a punter. All right, we're all agreed punts instead of kickoffs in 2019. And on that note, so moved. Gene, now that uh, we've saved the NFL, I think uh, we can. Uh, say that uh, your work is done for today. And save the Sixers. Save the Sixers, yeah. too. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is fun. Great to have you, as always. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Stefan, 
now it's time for After Balls. And the guy from Australia who's played the most games in the NFL is a fellow by the name of LaDainian Tomlinson. No, um, Darren Bennett, punter, shocker. What do we know about Darren Bennett? Big, big Aussie rules football player before he came to the NFL in 1994. Six foot five. Who could forget? He made punting cool. We're just going to go. I don't know if it's true. We're just going to go with kids. That's when kids really all said, I want to be a punter. It was because of Darren Bennett. Um, He was like the all decade team in the 90s for the NFL. A couple of pro bowls, kicked the ball far, a lot of yards. Revolutionized the game, introduced the, uh, the drop punt to the NFL. Darren Bennett, a name that will never be forgotten. Maybe. Uh, Stefan, what is your Darren Bennett? Well, back in August, I talked about my visit to Cooperstown, and I mentioned that the museum's curator, Tom Scheiber, had given me a tour of the Hall of Fame's permanent collection, and then it was really cool. What I didn't mention was that Scheiber located for me in the basement library my solitary contribution to the largest collection of baseball books on the planet. Of course, I took some pictures of Wild and Outside in the Hall of Fame. There are pictures of me pointing at the book on the shelf. And I happened to be looking at them the other day. There are three copies on the left edge of a top shelf, each with a sticker on the spine with the book's Library of Congress classification number. And I noticed for the first time that my book about the Independent Northern League is next to books about the Oakland Athletics. Uh, because Scheiber told me this morning, Northern League comes alphabetically before Oakland Athletics. The shelf to my left is jammed with books about New York baseball teams. In any case, three books down from Wild and Outside is Champagne and Baloney, The Rise and Fall of Finley's A's by Tom Clark, which was published in 1976. I'd never heard of Champagne and Baloney, but what a great title. I'd also never heard of Tom Clark, but that just marks me as a literary lightweight. Clark, I discovered, published about 50 books, including 30 volumes of poetry and biographies of Jack Kerouac and Damon Runyon, among others. In the 1960s, Clark hitchhiked in England with Allen Ginsberg, and at the age of 22 was the poetry editor of the Paris Review. But he was also a baseball fanatic. One of the poetry books, Fan Poems, is mostly about baseball. Clark wrote an as-told-to autobiography of the pitcher Mark Fidrich of the Tigers after his shooting star rookie season in 1976. And he also published a book of prints of portraits of players that Clark himself painted, accompanied by text that he pieced together from interviews and articles that humanizes the athletes. But Champagne and Baloney is Clark's big non-fiction baseball work. It's a 432-page book about Charlie Finley, the iconoclastic, egomaniacal, and universally hated owner of the A's, who dressed his team in garish green and gold, endorsed orange baseballs and bases, introduced Hot Pants Day at the stadium, pushed for night World Series games and the designated hitter, and through his penury, helped usher in free agency. According to a review in the New York Times, Champagne and Baloney doesn't offer behind-the-scenes insight into Finley's then 15 chaotic years as owner of the A's, but is an entertaining and enthusiastic literary fan's notes. The Times reviewer Christopher Lehman Haupt quoted some of Clark's prose. A's third baseman Sal Bando romps around the bases like a mustachioed springbok. Catcher first baseman Gene Tennis's double play pivot has all the grace of a wounded buffalo's dying fall. 
Charlie Finley, like kings and great entertainers, is more than just a person. He's an experiential gestalt. Clark grew up in Chicago. His father took him to games at Comiskey, and he worked as an usher at Wrigley. Clark once wrote that baseball opened up a secret door in the wall to numinous worlds religion promised but never delivered. And he said that poetry and baseball, quote, have a natural relationship. The best poems and the best baseball games share a dramatic tension you can't find in very many other places. It's no surprise that his mentor at the University of Michigan was the United States Poet Laureate Donald Hall, who wrote a biography of Doc Ellis and essays and poems about baseball. Clark's book about baseball poetry, which was also published in 1976, very busy year for him, includes poems about Catfish Hunter, Bill Lee, and other legends of the era. So long, Roberto Clemente, you have joined the immortals who've been body snatched by the Bermuda Triangle, Clark wrote in The Great One. When your plane went down, it forced tears out of grown men all over the hemisphere, Al Oliver and even Willie Stark. Stargell cried. The poem ends, I just hope those Martians realize they are claiming the rights to far and away the greatest right fielder of all time. And here's Clark's most famous poem about the game, Baseball and Classicism. Every day I peruse the box scores for hours. Sometimes I wonder why I do it, since I am not going to take a test on it, and no one is going to give me money. The pleasure is something like that of codes, of deciphering an ancient alphabet, say, so as brightly to picturize Eurydice in the Elysian fields on her perfect day, the day she went five for five against Vic Rashi. Tom Clark died, I learned, eight days after I visited Cooperstown. He was 77 years old and was hit by a car in his hometown, Berkeley, California. I am honored that my book stands just a few spots away from his in the Hall of Fame. Josh, what's your Darren Bennett? As a Levine, I was not ever expecting that there would be an NBA player whose own last name sounds the same as mine. Uh, which brings us to Zach Levine of the Chicago Bulls, L-A, capital V, I-N-E, who is definitely not the worst player to share a name with. He won the slam dunk contest twice, including in maybe the best modern contest, like post-MJ uh, Dominique contest, his duel against Aaron Gordon in 2016. He tore his ACL in February 2017, but he's come back. He appears to be in good health. He got traded from the Wolves to the Bulls in the Jimmy Butler trade, or I should say a Jimmy Butler trade. Um, On October 26th of this year, I texted a friend to say, did not realize that Zach Levine is now the best player in the NBA. I included a link to Zach Lowe's 10 Things I Like column for that week, in which he noted that this being very early in the NBA season, Zach Levine was averaging 32 points a game on 57% shooting. According to Zach Lowe, he was attacking the rim with a new ferocity. He was making uh, 67% of his attempts uh, on drives, uh, which was very high mark for the league. He's getting to the free throw line nine times. Zach Levine is like hitting his stride. So fast forward to present day. He is now averaging fewer points, 24 points. He's down to 44% shooting from the field. 31% from three. His team is six and 21. And then on the Zach Lowe podcast with Kevin Arnovitz a couple of weeks ago, love Zach Lowe, love Kevin Arnovitz. Let's listen to how they discussed Zach Zach Levine. Let's let's fire up uh, the first clip from this podcast. What's interesting about the Bulls? 
I other mean, than other than Zach Levine is now shooting thirty percent from three and forty three percent overall. You know what? Yes, Zach Levine. Just the the disdain with which Kevin Arnivet says Zach Levine is just cut me to my core. Uh, let's let's resume their conversation with the disdainful Zach Levine. Why why the disdain, Kevin? Yes, Zach Levine. Let me come down the floor, post up Bryn Forbes from 20 feet, get to 18 feet, and launch a turnaround jump. Wow, I did not not expect this, Kevin Arnovitz. There's not one survey of the floor, not one inkling that a basketball possession is full of cool possibilities, that there are three guys standing behind the arc with a Spurs defense that's sort of playing middle, and if not, if not packed, certainly playing off the perimeter. You know, and it's just like the ball hoggery right now, especially when you factor in Jabari, is just tough to watch. So when you think of the name Levine, think of ball hoggery that's tough to watch, and think of a disdain for the idea that a basketball possession could be magic. That's what the name Levine stands for Stands for now. Um, uh, let's listen to another clip. There's there's more. There, we'll, we'll play one more uh, clip about Zach Levine. What is Zach Levine going to decide whether he wants to play a functional brand of defense as a player in the NBA? Is he actually all these theories? A, oh, a, his athleticism is vertical; it's not lateral. Like whatever. <laughs> wow, Kevin Arnovitz. We like Kevin Arnovitz. Not a guy who's like he's not he's not somebody who you can annoy very easily, very even keel. <laughs> He he starts with Zach Levine and ends minutes later with whatever. So, Zach, we need to talk, my friend. We've got to got to try to play some defense. Get that three point percentage up a little bit. We want you to understand that there are magical possibilities in a basketball possession, and that passing the ball is not optional. It's a, it's ideal. So Levine, maybe can stand for for something better and greater than it is today. I'm, I'm just glad to have an NBA player with my name. Though. Can I Let's just say honest. when you said Zach Lowe, I thought, <laughs> I thought you were, that was like his nickname. That is not. No, that's a different guy. Okay. Zach, Zach Levine, his nickname is Zach Levine, I think, at, at this point. Uh, that is our show for today. Our producer is Patrick Fort. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just reach out, go to slate.com slash hangup, and you can email us at hangup at slate.com. Call in show. Call us, please. 77 hang up 10. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. For Stefan Fatsis, Josh Levine, members Elmo Beatty, and thanks for listening. It is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C., 
on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.